So <clears throat> today we have really used our time wisely, having undertaken these trainings of the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path. We begin to purify our intentions before speaking and acting. And this helps to mm, purify our, our mind of the transgressive torments that cause harm to others. And by doing so, we're able to enjoy the happiness of living in harmony with one another. And by developing a continuity of mindfulness, we momentarily purify the mind of the obsessive uh, torments. And this allows us to enjoy the happiness of the secluded mind, or the mind that's untormented for periods of time. And then by developing uh, insight, really understanding the way things have come to be and that they change, we begin to purify our understanding. And this is the key to what the Buddha called the highest happiness, which is peace. And in this way, we really have done everything we can to develop the Noble Eightfold Path. You know, even though we may see that there's plenty of room for improvement and that there still is plenty of challenges, really, if, if we've made a sincere effort today, then we've done the most we can do, the best we can do. And so we should take some time to just acknowledge that to ourselves and feel happy that we're able to have done that. And of course, none of this would be possible or none of this would be a worthwhile endeavor if we didn't really care for ourselves. But it's because we care for ourselves, and because we care for our suffering and because we really want to learn how to love ourselves better that we do this work. And even though we have to endure a lot of difficulty and, and pain and stress and torments. What we experience is really the suffering that leads to the end of suffering, the untying of the knots of the mind. And rather than the clinging and craving, which is the suffering that leads to more suffering, learning to let go is the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And so all of our efforts really today have been out of self-love. And Mark was speaking about loving kindness tonight. And he said that loving kindness is a protective practice. It's a protective meditation. It, it protects us from certainly first the, the harmful effects of aversion, but there's many other benefits that come from a loving heart. So I want to tell you a story. Um, so I was in the monastery in Burma, and I'd been there about three years. And there was a political upheaval in 1988. And the long-term dictator, Ne Win, was going to step down. Because the economy was in a shambles and the military was a little riled up. So he decided to step, da step down 
And the population in Burma just thought, wow, great, we're getting rid of our dictator, we're going to have democracy. So they really got uh, very elated and enthusiastic, and they just were so excited about getting rid of their dictator that they had for 40 years, that they just kind of went a little bit enthusiastic. And in over the course of six or eight weeks, they just about paralyzed the country because they stopped working and they went on strike and they were just agitating for elections. And it was just a really heady, heady time in Burma. There was just amazing things happening. And everyone thought that for sure, with the dictator stepping down, there's going to be a real shift and a change in the government. But the military really, they're pretty, they know their business. So they engineered a, an incident where some, some military, military guys got hurt and that set the stage for confrontation. And <coughs> sometime later, it was about 10 o'clock at night, one night, and we heard all this firecrackers going off in town. It was, it was in the monastery in Rangoon. And it was just going on and on. And then we heard these loudspeakers driving around outside the monastery. And it wasn't firecrackers that we were hearing, it was machine gun. And so the military had kind of pulled a coup, or I don't know what you call it, but they decided to reassert control of the country that night. And they were announcing the fact that, uh, you know, henceforth there was uh, military rule. Uh, people couldn't meet in groups of more than three or four, or they'd be shot. And overnight, well, you know, several thousand people disappeared because during the preceding six weeks, when there were all these marches to around the, basically parading into town in front of the American embassy, the military had filmed everybody and all the leaders of all the groups that uh, had marched for political freedom disappeared. And they haven't been seen, of course. So the, the government reasserted control and, and just in the matter of a couple of days, the place was locked down and you couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere. And there was, there was sporadic fighting um, in, in Rangoon. And it got to be a very tense, tense time in the country. And food wasn't coming into the city. And there were all kinds of rumors about what was going on out in the countryside. And it was really, really messy. But I was in the monastery, which was a safe place to be. And uh, even in the monastery, they, they asked all the Burmese people to go home because they couldn't guarantee that there'd be food for them or that the water was safe or anything like that. So it was really tense and the, and the U.S. Embassy came to the monastery and said, maybe we all, we, we all should leave because the country was unstable, they didn't know what was going to happen, they couldn't guarantee our safety, and we should leave. And some, of course, many people left. But I was doing Vipassana practice at the time and it got to be too, too painful, it was just too too crazy to, to be pay, being open to all of those feelings. So I asked my teacher, Bandita, and he said, maybe I should do loving-kindness practice. 
So I started doing loving kindness practice because it's very calming and soothing and it calms down the mind and it, and it brings a, a sense of protection to the mind, to the heart. So I was doing loving kindness practice and you know, I was pervading phrases of loving kindness towards a benefactor and friends and things like that. And after a couple of weeks, he asked me, he says, um, are you, uh, are you, are you, do you have uh, practicing loving kindness for the generals that took over the country? And I said, oh, are you kidding? I don't, <laughs> you know, they're bad. I don't, I don't want them to be, you know, you know, why would I have loving kindness for them? And he said, well, if they truly felt loving kindness, they would understand that their actions are really ignorant and they're causing a lot of harm. And if they truly felt loving kindness, they would stop doing it. So out of their ignorance, they think that what they're doing is for the benefit of the people in the country, but they're so blinded they don't know. So I said, okay, I'll try. So I tried having loving kindness for the generals. It was not easy. Of course, because every time you think of the generals, you think of what they're doing, and it derails your loving kindness. But over the course of some some days, weeks, I could finally get to where I could really wish them to be happy. Not doing what they're doing, but genuinely be happy. And it wasn't that I was approving what they were doing, but I did want them to be happy. So I was pervading a lot of loving kindness towards the generals and the military that had taken over the country. Well... Aung San Suu Kyi was there in the country at the time, taking care of her mother as she passed away, and she was a political force that the government was really, the, the military was not happy with. But she was there, and they wanted to get her out of the country. They wanted to have her leave. So they, they passed an edict, or they promulgated an edict that said all foreigners had to leave the country at the end of October. That was it. And she figured if her husband had to leave, she'd leave with him. But that meant that everybody the few of us that were left in a monastery also had to leave. But I, di- I didn't want to leave. I was, I was a monk. I wasn't, I wasn't a political force. I wasn't making any trouble for anybody. I wanted to stay. So in my naivete, I thought, well, I could just ask them. So I wrote a letter in English to General Ufon Mint, who had been assigned to the Home and Religious Affairs Department, you know, in the in the cabinet. And I didn't know him, but I'd heard that was his name, so I wrote a letter to General Ufomien and saying, I'm a monk, I'm an American monk, I've been at the monastery three, four, three years at that point, and uh, I was a good monk, and I wanted to stay, and my teacher was Upandita, and I've been doing loving-kindness practice, and whatever, and I asked for his uh, permission to stay. And I thought, well, I got a friend, I got a Burmese friend to translate it into Burmese and write it out for me. So I thought, well, I'll just go downtown and give it to him. <laughs> of course, it was military rule. I mean, you know, what <laughs> What was I thinking? <laughs> I was totally naive. You couldn't go anywhere. It was roadblocks. The roads were all blocked off and military patrols and you couldn't get anywhere near downtown. So, especially a foreigner. So I was kind of left with this letter written to General Ufomien wondering how to get it to him. So I was asking around the monastery if anybody knew how to get this letter down to over, over to Ufomien. And one night there was a knock at the door of my little cottage, and I went to the door, and there was the, the dietitian from the dining room was there, and she was 
a great supporter of Sairo Upandita, so she was she was very affectionate towards me. She really took care of me and gave me extra food and and she was just really a nice a nice elderly grandmother like lady. And she said, um, Oh, I heard you have a letter for General Ufo Mint And I said, Yes, I do. I'd like to get a letter to him so ask him if I can have permission to stay in the country because, you know, they said that all foreigners have to leave. And she says, yeah, I know. She says, uh, my niece married Ufo Mint's son, and we're all going to have dinner tonight together. <laughs> so I can take your letter to him. I said, cool, or something like that. <laughs> sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So I gave her the letter, and she went off. And a couple of days later, she came back, and she said, I gave your letter to General Ufo Mint. He read it right then when I gave it to him. And he said to her, tell him to apply for a visa and I'll approve it. So the time came for, for all the foreigners to leave at the end of October. I applied for a visa and it was approved. So for a while, for a few months, I was the only foreigner in Burma, in the monastery, because I got permission from this general that I had met for, I guess. But you never know what the power of loving-kindness is until you try, until you practice. But it's a real protection, or the, the Buddha says, it's a real protection from harm and danger and weapons and, and from a lot of uh, aversion in your own mind and um, dangers from outside yourself. So it was a very interesting unfolding of conditions uh, in Burma when I was practicing the loving-kindness there. So our practice here of, of mindfulness and insight and loving-kindness, with a loving uh, mind towards ourselves and others, is not uh, insignificant. We may not see dramatic results, you know, quickly or be able to even attribute the benefits of our life to the metta practice we've done, but you never know. So, thank you for your practice. And you can have a good night's sleep now. <laughs>